The technology field, like any other business sector, is made up of, well, businesses. Those businesses have their own brands, and they fight tooth and nail to protect them, be it through trademark, copyright, or the ever-present threat of being turned into a verb. These brands are as, or more, valuable than the literal products and services they represent. But what happens when it all goes wrong? When the lights finally go out, the doors are shut, and there's no more business left to promote? Where do brands go to die? Today we're going to talk about a mere handful of examples of former behemoths, hockey stick startups, and even dot-com bubble flashes in the pan that all have one very important thing in common. They don't exist anymore. Some fell to our good friend competition, others to poor or misguided leadership, and a couple, well, just weren't good ideas in the first place. Business, like life, has a life cycle, a beginning and an end. Not only is it expected, it's natural. So as we peruse the museum of logos that once adorned shelves, both virtual and physical, just a few short years ago, we can't help but wonder, who's next? Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Solid State Podcast. I'm your host, John Joyce. I'm Eric Sargent. And I'm Cody Toscano. We're here this week to uh, kind of bounce around a little bit, but in a semi-structured way, because that's how we do. Uh, No, we're... We realized talking, I guess it was really just the other day, we obviously talk about a lot of brands on this show and no, there's no advertising inbound as a result. Yeah. No, we get no, we don't get paid. No, <laughs> we do not. That is, that couldn't be more true. It's, it's just for you guys. Just, just for all 11 fans. Yep. Um, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, but we do, we talk about a lot of brands and many of them are not just technology tent poles anymore because of what technology has done in culture. And we spend a lot of time talking about that on this show as well. Those technology brands have become tent poles of that culture, of that society. I mean, Google is a verb for yep. God's sake. Yep. Oh yeah. I mean, to, to, to every, to their credit, you don't iPhone something. Mm-hmm. You know yeah, what I mean? It's very true. But I mean, Google, Amazon's kind of gotten there. I'm going to Amazon that has kind of become synonymous, but it's not, Google is one of my favorite examples. I know it's their least favorite because they're constantly under risk of losing trademark. But um, but we're not but, banging it either. Well, much they want you to be, but nobody <laughs> yeah. actually does. Yeah, much of Redmond's chagrin, maybe yeah. they're, they're we're not binging things. Although they, for a really hot minute, I think they thought they were going to solve that, and then yeah. it turns out that having a conversation with an AI chatbot that may or may not hit on you by the end of the conversation <laughs> is only fun for a weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Goods is if advertised. That. We already said we were going to bounce around and here we are. Oh yeah. We're definitely um, going to bounce around. No, but as these brands, and I actually think speaking of it, I think it was, you know, Bezos said this at one point, all of these brands will go away one day. Every yeah. single one of them. It, mm. it is, yeah. it is, very, very, very unlikely that that a brand would last, you know, it, you know, not literally eternally, but you know what I mean. For such a long time, that yeah. it just mm-hmm. never goes like an old brand name, even today, in a national is a hundred years, couple hundred years, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, General you think Electric, back on Ford, you know, things like Bell, that, you know, for the sure. phone systems. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's- you, you have. And I do mean at a, at a global scale. You always have family businesses that have been around for generations, or you know, we've been making these wheels since the Civil War. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, th- that, yeah. that kind of stuff does <laughs> exist, but I mean, at scale, these brands live and they will at some point die, and that's just mm-hmm. that, that's the nature of the beast. Some of them just die a little quicker than others, yeah. Um, and and that's actually what, in a very roundabout way, what we're here to talk about today, which is some of the brands just through the last few decades that in one way or another touched some of our lives and most certainly, you know, many of yours as well, that they they were there for sometimes a minute, sometimes a day, sometimes a decade, but eventually it was either to outright implosion, to acquisition, to any number of things that sometimes they just truly disappear overnight and we'll let you figure out for yourself what that normally meant. Right. But, well, we had that big tech boom, right? You know, Silicon Valley, all that, everyone trying to try yeah, to make the bubble. Know, yeah. Oh, there have been several. I mean, you think about you know. the dot com bubble coming out yeah. of coming out of the late nineties and then I mean and that's that's the one that people reference by its, you know, fancy schmancy name. But there have been many moments throughout. Um I mean, heck, Cody, to that point, we're coming off of one right now 
Mm-hmm. We've talked about the mass layoffs across the sector, but that's, that's just the mass layoffs from those brand names that had enough money to just do layoffs. Right. We've seen, again, no like that I can think of off the top of my head anyway, like major, major names have disappeared just in the last few months, but we're coming off of the, the one of those waves right now where the, the tech industry and for all of its, I, I don't even know the word for it, stupidity. I, I really, I, I tried to yeah. church it up and yeah. it's, we've, we've talked about this a little bit before as well. The, the people that make up the CEO ship of the Valley and beyond, these are smart people. I mean, I'm not mm-hmm. going to argue that for one second. These are classically intelligent folks. Most of them pretty good at business, categorically speaking. And somehow all of them drank from the same gallon jug of Kool-Aid in 2020 and believed that not COVID the thing, but what COVID had done to us was never going to end. Right. So when everybody bought a laptop that year, these people genuinely believed people were just going to show up and buy a new laptop every 11 and a half months. And it turns out when everyone buys a laptop in 2020, you know when that really hurts laptop sales? 2021 and 2022. Yeah. All yeah. those people don't need new laptops. And that the, the laptops are just an example. Logitech is dealing with, with this because everybody bought peripherals that year. Mm-hmm. Um, Yep, you numbers know, the, went you know, way up, and now they're way sure. down. Webcams, yeah. mouse keyboards, yep. All of it, all of this, and, and not just the products, though, on the services, too. Um, we could do a whole separate episode, and, you know, on the fly, as we do, maybe we will, about brands that were specifically born out of the pandemic that didn't yeah. survive it. Because again, you think about all these micro social networks and the way we use technology in really cool ways to pivot around isolation and lockdown that the minute the doors fly open again, the need for it kind of disappears. And some brands then leaned and pivoted and found a way to make their product relevant in other ways. I think about Zoom. I was just going to say Zoom is definitely yeah. that one that comes to mind. Yeah, I mean, we still use Zoom every single day as many, many people. I'm sure its usage has curtailed, but I mean, they are still in a tangibly different place than they were in November of 2019. That's for oh, they, have, they have a subscription business model now <laughs> right? versus when it was just like free, I mean, you know, before. Cody, they've got a phone system for God's sake. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. we, are not, we are not interrogating that today no, just yeah. because it's it's a little too soon and too close to home. Yeah, <laughs> because we have to support one of them. Yeah. <laughs> But, but to, to reel it all the way back in. So what I was saying was the, many brands in, beyond technology, just in business, come and go. Products come and go. But technology is one of those spaces where some of them are like, at least for me, maybe it's just because I love this space so much. These these were near and dear brands, some of them to my heart, especially my childhood and you know, earlier adult years that – Again, some of them slowly faded into the distance. Others just you look up one day and it's gone. Mm. So that that's what we're we're taking a you know a look back, walk down memory lane, as it were, today um, through through some of those brands. And for each one, we're going to try our best because we weren't in the room. You know, even what may or may not have been made public, we all know isn't always the full story. Um, There's one of them specifically that I'm going to start off with here in a moment. I think there's a lot more to it, but uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. These, these brands that are no longer with us are our, our take on maybe some of the reasons for why I'm anticipating a bit of a common thread with that PS, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and others just went bust because of bad decisions. And, um, you know, I, I, I take it back. I, I have a different one. I'm going to pivot right here. <laughs> if you guys are good with it, I'm going to kick off with one that, sure. because I do think it tells a very interesting story about not a, but a series of poor decisions that, that led it to bankruptcy and, uh, you know, eventual non-existence. Right. Um, it's, it's the big blue sign, right? It's blockbuster. Yeah. When, okay. <laughs> when, when I think about, so let's, cause we've talked about blockbuster before. Technically not was, out of business. There's still one left. Not under <laughs> Oregon brand. One. That's like saying you can still buy a Palm phone, which now <laughs> that's all, but anyway. Um, so yeah, blockbuster. Um, we could do a whole episode on blockbuster. Not going to, I'm going to do my best here, but it is, it's one of my favorite examples of, the a literal series of poor and poorly motivated decisions that buried one of the brands of its era. 
Because yeah. from the outside looking in, skipping to the end, it's it would be very simple and easy to just say, well, yeah, Netflix. Mm-hmm. And yep. you'd be right. Netflix was what killed... Well, Netflix was the competitive engine that killed them. I still firmly believe it was their leadership and the decisions by that leadership that destroyed the company. Well, especially since didn't they have the opportunity to purchase Netflix? It wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, I'm I think pretty I sure that they that, were yeah. they were in a yes. past because they were going to build their own service that was going to be better than Netflix. And, you know, hubris being what it is, they, you know, <laughs> they're no longer here and Netflix is bigger than ever. But yeah. probably still not making a profit, but they're still here anyway. Yes. If, if yes. And if memory serves in the very, very early years, there was a um a sale offer put out there that was yeah. turned down because we don't need that mess. And right. uh one lived and one didn't. But but again, even that decision, I don't think that was ground zero. Like it was not yet inevitable that mm. Netflix was going to win. Right. Um, Netflix actually had to yeah. overcome Blockbuster's own stupidity mm-hmm. to, yeah. to be the one that still exists. So the very, very abridged version of all this is Blockbuster had the one thing day one that Netflix didn't, which was scale. They had distribution. All the stores everywhere. They had the stores. They had the footprint. And there were innovation opportunities that created for Netflix, like initially mailing DVDs to people's houses. Well, what if I, the irony, what if I don't want to leave my house? What if I just wanted Mm -hmm. to show up here? But I don't, everyone goes straight to that convenience factor being the thing that helped them win. I don't actually think that was as much it because- Speaking myself for myself and many others, going to Blockbuster was in theory still a fun experience. Right. It was that part was of the still, whole thing. Yeah. Right. That was still a time where going to a place and perusing and browsing and stumbling across something Gets that some maybe you didn't even show up there to get was part of the fun. Yeah. And especially pre-internet as we know it, we've talked about this too. I because I was young enough like that this was like a big deal for me was like the video game kiosks that would be there. The number of games that I would get to try out for the first time because there would be like an oh, N64 yeah. hooked up to a, some ridiculous display in the corner <laughs> showing off Pokemon Snap or who knows what the, what the, what the game yeah. of the day was. Like that, that was a lot of fun. That was part of the experience. Um, the problem was Blockbuster used that to leverage what became Netflix's biggest advantage. Netflix's Netflix's advantage to me was not the I don't have to leave my house. It was that I can actually get whatever movie I want. Right. You don't walk in and see the it movie, movie out. Yeah. Being all out. Yeah. <laughs> Blockbuster was very aware of this. Very aware. And they their CEO, I believe it was at the time, coined a phrase that I believe was the first largest nail in that coffin. And that was managed customer dissatisfaction. Hmm. <laughs> just manage how what bad a great <laughs> yeah how can we you seriously how can we use the experience so going back to people liked going to blockbuster like i said it was oh, on the whole an enjoyable shopping experience except for when you showed up to pick up that blockbuster that just you know pun intended that blockbuster that just <laughs> dropped because you wanted to watch it that weekend and both copies the store had are checked out you know, has anyone else ever done this dance? Well, hey, can you check the return bin to see if anyone dropped it off? Well, like yeah, I have of vivid memories well, of asking here's that the question. Thing. So, is it back in stock yet? <laughs> yeah, this, um, th- this whole conversation is near and dear to my heart. I did not work at a Blockbuster, but I worked at a video store for sure. almost a decade. Uh, that was my It was my first real job, and I worked at that store all the way through college. So like, I was at that video store, and that was, that was the thing. I, the amount of times that I was asked that question, can you check the returns? You know, yep. when I started working there, it was all VHS. And then we made yeah. the, uh, yep. the transition to, you know, DVDs and replaced everything out. And, and that was also, you know, I think that was also when the industry changed their model, because when it started with VHS tapes, they would have to pay 120, $150 per copy for the VHS right. tapes. And, and you would get them, there was a, like a pre-release, like the Mm -hmm. video stores would get them as part of the deal months before, 
um, you'd be able to, to purchase them in your local video store, you know, yep. to take home. And they were much more expensive because of that. It was the distribution that. rights. And yeah. then when DVDs came out, that whole thing stopped. They were released at the same time. So the DVDs got right. released. So all of a release. sudden their model yep. became, you come in and rent the videos that you don't want to buy. Yeah, Because right. you could just go yes. to Walmart and buy the DVDs. You know, yep. and if you wanted to see it that bad, you'd just go to Walmart and buy it. But buy if it was, if it, you didn't want to buy it that much, you'd just go to the store and see it. And it kind of, people just stopped going to video. Yeah, that's a big distinction, really. Sure. You know, I started that kind of downward versus, slide yeah. that I think that Blockbuster was like, oh, it's this isn't going to be a thing. People are going to keep because they love our the experience of coming in. They they didn't love it that much, you know, yeah. <laughs> to yeah. to come in and you know, it. But yeah, I mean, it was. We never had a blockbuster. That was that's the funny right. thing. I grew up in in Vermont, and I, I still I they never had one. It was <laughs> as far as I know. Right. Um, that's funny. They, actually. Yeah, we we whittled all of our videos out of wood. Um, no, it was <laughs> the, it, it was all mom and pop stores yeah. everywhere that for for video stuff. So yeah. um, you know, but but the experience was still there. It was still very much yes. the same kind of deal, but it was just not the the big name or whatever. But yeah, it was it was interesting to watch that happen because they did. You know, after that, and I did look it up. They had the opportunity to purchase Blockbuster had the opportunity to purchase Netflix for fifty million dollars when yep. they were still getting started, and and they passed. They um, passed. And then, and then later on, when you know Netflix did the shipping the DVDs home thing, they were like, "Oh, that's no problem." People like coming to the store and browsing more. They're right. not. That's not really a thing. And then when Netflix started to pivot into the streaming service. Yep. Blockbuster was like was downhill way, sliding yeah. at that point and they went, Oh, we're gonna do that too. Cause I think they tried to start something mm -hmm. and it yeah. just did not go well. Oh, they they had a Blockbuster streaming service. They absolutely did. But by that point, going back to managed dissatisfaction, the whole principle was people like coming to our store. Once they get here and find out they can't get what they want, what can we do to make sure that they leave? As minimal, not as, this is such a key distinction to me because it's how you approach something as leadership, as ownership, as the culture of your business. You're, because I, I am very mindful of you're not always going to be able to give someone what they want. That That's mm -hmm. just, that is just a fact of life. But when you, you ground zero of your intent is not, I think it's a, it's a clear distinction when you're, when your intent is not to have them leave as satisfied as possible, but as minimally dissatisfied, you can, right. you can make the argument. Those are the same thing, but they're not because the angle from which you're approaching it shows yeah. your real intent, right? Yeah. You're, we're you're not going to, we're not going to send our customers yeah. home happy. We're going to send our customers home less sad. Yeah. Yes. That's, you know, <laughs> and then think about Eric, yeah. no pun intended, thinking about, you know, the use of the world, thinking about the little frontline workers who are standing there in that store, yep. making minimum wage, dealing with Mrs. Johnson, <sighs> losing time. her crap because she can't get, you know, Oh yeah. She can't, what she, mean she can't get have it. Yeah. My kids are waiting at home to watch legally blonde. And you're telling me I can't do because they're both checked out. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> think about doing that over and yeah. over and yeah. over again. Oh, so then I that creates did. the, Oh, I, <laughs> but then think about that creates the culture of, of yeah. people who are taking that crap over and, yep. and the trickle down of that through your organization, this, this experience that used to be enjoyable that people wanted to come do is now you're in a place that doesn't have what you want. It's staffed by people that don't want to be there. I'm sorry. We've all been in a place that has that energy and you want to leave as quickly as possible. Yep. You're now not going to bother browsing. And now suddenly, you know what? I may have to wait a little bit longer for it to show up, but I, now I don't want to leave my house. I'd rather yeah. wait on the red envelope to show up in my mailbox that drove the dollars to Netflix yep. that they used to build the streaming service that put them in the ground. Yep. Yeah, I think it'll weigh the DVDs maybe as well. Maybe I did. you could speak to this, Eric. Like uh, yep. the fact that I could rent it and then I could rip it, right? Versus I feel like maybe a VHS was harder to or more sure. cumbersome I mean, that, to do that so. Came a little bit later. But yeah, I mean it Ooh. to me it was the there was a very there was a shift in the market, not just money wise, but thinking wise when it went from VHS to DVD because the, that experience, that blockbuster experience that you're talking about was very much 
from the VHS area and then the holdover of that when DVD started. And then once it became apparent how readily available and how cheap they got, like, oh, I can go get this movie three months later in the bargain bin for $4, you know, that kind of thing. That's what the whole change was that coming to the store, that browsing, the looking through videos, even not having everything there because the stores only got one or two or three copies because they were $150 a piece when yeah. they bought them. You know, people were used to that, but they were, you didn't have a huge library. Not everybody had a huge library of movies at their home when it was VHS days because they were so expensive to buy. Even after they came out on video, they're still $30, $40, you know, for new stuff when it came out. And, and in those dollars, those days, that was pretty expensive. So you would not have this huge library at home. So if you came in and you couldn't get Legally Blonde or you couldn't get Titanic, you know, mm -hmm. the double VHS oh, sure. cassette Titanic. thing, of Titan, yeah. you know, that kind of thing, you couldn't <laughs> yep. get that. There were so many other VHS tapes at that store that you'd never seen. Mm -hmm. Like likely older titles that had been released on VHS that were from the 70s and 80s that there was no big release for them. They were just in theaters and then they were gone. And the last time you remember it was, oh, I went to the drive-in movie in 1984 yep. and saw this and I haven't watched it since. I'm going to grab this again and I'll try Titanic next time. Mm -hmm. And and there was plenty of that going around to keep people coming back into the stores. But then when you'd go into the store and you wanted to get whatever on DVD, you know, Men in Black on DVD and it wasn't there, you'd just go to Walmart and buy it if you wanted to watch it bad enough. Yeah. And it was down right. there and you'd pay the 20 bucks for the DVD and you'd just go home and watch it. And then half the time people would probably just return it to Walmart when they were done with it. Yeah. But you know, that, that kind of changed the whole experience, that shopping experience that you're talking about. And that was the big downfall, I think for Netflix as a store. And then of course they sure. just, they totally pooched their Our attempt at the streaming yeah. service. So, yeah. yeah, but I wanted to pivot into one if we're okay pivoting away. That, from... Yeah. That, that was, that was my tirade on the big blue sign <laughs> and just I, to put my last pin on it. When a company, I doubt this will be the only time today or ever that we talk about a company that when your decision is to m not maximize your customer satisfaction, but minimize their dissatisfaction as a starting point, start the clock. Yeah, start it. So, yeah. So the I'm going to actually do a, a, a double whammy because and, and I'm going to, you know, as the resident old on the podcast, um, <laughs> we're going to we're going to spin this back to the 90s because, you know, uh, do it best decade um they uh <laughs> there was two two big ones that came and went in the 90s um because of this dot-com bubble that you guys were talking about earlier yep. just the 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 world wide web was the wild wild west you know all those w's in there because it was beautiful yeah it was nobody knew what and it horrifying was. yeah nobody <laughs> knew what this thing was nobody knew what it was going to be nobody knew how to use it they just they created this world wide web and then they just went well let's see what happens because nobody really knew how it was going to end up being used you know googling wasn't a thing you know, you better no. use your Netscape browser and then you'd have to just find websites. And I all vividly kind of remember having a book. Yeah. It was yeah, there literally was, it was like a book for website. Yes. And Cody, seriously, you would look up car. If you were looking for car parts, you would literally go to C and it would be a list of all the registered websites that sold car parts. Because there was and no you would type in that registry URL. Yeah. Because there was no usable online registry yet. Absolutely. So yep. So no, no, you're fine. So there was this thing that came about that was insane. So okay, let's go back to another failed brand. Actually, this is gonna be a triple whammy. Okay. Um, there used to be a store back in the olden times that you'd ride your horse and buggy up to when you wanted to build your own electronics called Radio Shack. Radio Shack. Oh, yep. And, I knew where that was could, going. <laughs> and you could buy you could buy parts there. You could buy resistors yeah. and and you know transistors and you could build your own computer kits and they had all these electronics and things in there and they partnered with this random company that had this wild hair idea that they were going to create the next big thing on the internet. And again, this was early days of the internet and it was called the Q cat and they were giving them oh, away. for free. We are going, we're going to the Q cat today. Yes, we are. <laughs> Excellent. So, Let's go. So they, they created this device that was going to, it's a peripheral. And, and the great thing is back then there was the USB wasn't really a thing, right? Mm -hmm. So your keyboard and your mouse Barely. plugged in with a, a PS2 slot, like a, a different connector. It had like four it a, pins it was or six pins. a barrel connector with pins yep. in it. Yep. yep. Yeah. So the QCAT 
it came in two flavors. It eventually came in a USB as it was failing and floundering. But the initial one that you'd get, not even you USB would, could save you. Would, you right. You would plug it in to your keyboard slot in that little barrel connector, and then you'd plug your keyboard into it, and it would do okay. like a pass through, so it could do both. Um, and it was basically an infrared scanner. It was a it was a barcode scanner, scanner. from the grocery store at home and you'd swipe along you'd run it along a barcode and it would read it from left to right as you ran it across the barcode and it only but it didn't read every barcode at the beginning it read qcat barcodes so Mm. people would start putting qcat barcodes on their advertisements in magazines and it was basically so you'd pick a magazine up off the stand in the store and you'd see a product you liked Ooh, you know i like that product i want to try it Take out your trusty cute cat. And it was actually molded plastic that looked like a cat, like laying down. And it, yeah, and Cody, it, I know. Yeah, there's not just the name. It looked like, it a, looked cat. like a cat. And the, because you know, the wire it was, was chasing your mouse. Yep, exactly. That was why they did it. And it had like the front and the mouth of it was like this infrared scanner. Oh. And you'd go in the magazine and you'd take your trusty cute cat and run it across the barcode. And 95% of the time you'd go, that didn't work. And you'd try it again. And then finally it would read the barcode and it would use the, the drivers installed on your computer and it would open up your web browser to the website for this company. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty, a way pretty for you. Good idea, honestly. Yeah. I mean, well, if the end worked, result. Yeah. And also, yeah www.myproducts.com was usually where you were going anyway. And it was faster yeah. to just type it than pull out the magazine, get to the right page, run the QCAT across it. Oh, that didn't work. Run it again. Nope, that still didn't work. Let me do it slower. Run it again. Oh, okay. I finally got there and the web page opened up and, and now I'm finally there. And you could have typed it 16 <laughs> times since then. Not to mention, <laughs> eventually you could then just say, that's a cool set of headphones google.com right and sennheiser yeah. headphones yeah there it is yeah like, it, it no was... obnoxious plastic molded peripheral required <laughs> and we're not doing this on today's episode but eric we could actually do a whole pivot on products failed or otherwise that the best experience wasn't what they were launched to do the qcat wasn't great because of the qcat the qcat was great because of what people hacked it to do yeah my favorite memories were all the ridiculous ridiculous things that people figured out to do with this scanner that they just now had at their house that was to scan yep. magazine barcodes that no longer existed but companies were just throwing them at you as they as you walked <laughs> yeah. by the door of their store so so it was actually it was actually just outside the 90s i i it was early 2000s early so it was still 2000s. wild wild west yep. but but still and it it shows that they were giving them away for free at Radio Shack, right? Everybody, yep. you walk in there, you buy anything. Heck, you didn't even have to buy anything. You could just go, hey, guys, can I get a QCAT? Can I get a QCAT? Oh, yeah. Whatever. You want five? You just like, throw you one, you know? Uh-huh. It, every one of those QCATs cost Radio Shack $6.50 to manufacture. Yes. And they were throwing them at everyone at that walked door. by. Just yep. hundreds of thousands of dollars on these things just because they figured everyone would be paying for the rights to use a QCAT barcode because it's so convenient. But right, 2000, yes. I mean, like, you know, we're so close to all of this stuff, the internet blowing up at that point. They were just too late. Had they come out in the mid 90s, like I was thinking they did, had they come out earlier, they probably would have been a little more successful or at least for a little bit longer. But they were just, it was too little too late at that point. Yeah, that, that um, QR code precursor. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And once the cell phones, I mean, that would have been the death knell completely. You know, once we got to cell phones with cameras on them for QR codes and all that. I mean, that's that's the evolution of what this was or what they wanted it to be was very much that experience you have with a QR code. But of course you can't, you know, now you can, somebody can slap a QR code on a bathroom door at a club and you can scan it with your phone. Don't do that by the way, they yeah. can lead you anywhere. But um, yeah, security top tip of the yeah, day. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't do scan that. unknown codes. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, you can do that anywhere and you didn't have your QCAT in your pocket. You know what I mean? You couldn't like totally. go into some place and like, you know, you weren't sitting at, at Barnes and Noble running the QCAT across the magazines for free, getting to all these free oh, juicy websites, your you Christmas know, browsing, shopping. right? Exactly. It just wasn't a thing, but okay. So QCAT terrible. It was only a couple of years. It was get there and gone. It was a blip. And like, like you said, John, it was very much like what people made this product do after it was gone, just mm-hmm. because now it's useless. Let's just play with it and see what we can make this thing do. It was do. And, useless and they did. the day it came out. But right. yes, as, I remember as enterprising people, young hackers will, they yeah. found things to do with that. Right. They would take it and they would, there was, uh, you can find it if you, if you Google this, you can find <laughs> it. People made 
um, music with it. They turned it into a synthesizer yep. and they would oh. run it over barcodes and different like black and white, you know, and it would change the tone and pitch mm-hmm. and they were, and they created whole songs and they're like running the cue cats over barcodes and everything to make music. And it was hilarious and, you know, a much better use like, Oh, you guys should have made a synthesizer and not a barcode scanner. But yeah. um, the other thing that I wanted to talk about was firmly in the nineties. And this was um, again, the wild, wild west of the internet, not everybody had a computer at home. And so a a personal computer at home. So people thought, you know, we want to get people on this new web thing. And how can we do that? So someone came up with the wild idea of, you know, anybody who has a cable TV connection can plug this device in and get internet on their TV. They don't need a special computer. They can just plug it into their existing television because everybody's got a TV. So they came up with the idea of web TV. So it was another set top box that you would get. You would plug it into your cable and the cable companies would provide you with, it was basically the early cable internet and you would um, be able to access the web directly over the cable signal on, and it was optimized for your television. So it looked terrible because you're talking tube televisions back then. So the resolution was was garbage. Um, And, you know, 640 by 480 was the, resolution du jour back there on monitors and your tv was less than that so they were trying to make that work for anybody you know oh you know susie down the road they her family hasn't bought a tv since the 1950s they still has the cable jack on the back you could plug it in and still get it on that little 17 inch tv or 13 inch tv or whatever so they tried to optimize it for that the problem is again growing up in vermont i didn't have cable (laughs) until almost the year 2000 like it was that long before the infrastructure was there was there and then that cable company would have still had to offer web tv which they didn't you know it wasn't a thing and it was the the minute you're relying on the cable companies to deliver on a (laughs) quote-unquote new or emerging standard from this century you're already you're done done. Yeah, yeah you're done so it was it didn't last very long it was i mean it it's still around like iterations of this are still around i think and Mm -hmm. especially not not necessarily in the united states or everywhere in the united states but it's still somewhat of a thing that you Mm -hmm. can get stuff like this but the actual like web tv box and all of that it didn't it didn't last very long because it was expensive it was subpar in the experience and shortly after this all came out personal computers got inexpensive and everyone ended up having one it became a necessity to have a personal computer in your house and then why would anybody need web tv anymore when you've got a better experience in the computer in your house every every kid in the 90s ended up wanting a computer because that's when games started to explode and then also doing your homework with the world wide web was a whole lot easier so everybody wanted that you know so it was all that stuff kind of steamrolled and it was like you know internet on my tv what Mm -hmm. (laughs) i think i've seen those on like at like hotels and stuff maybe when i was a kid where like you would have like a controller plugged into the cable box and like so that idea probably kept going a little bit but yeah they they definitely i mean they still have like again precursors of that Mm -hmm. in in hotels today where you can get you know the web on the televisions there and all that kind of stuff so they're definitely still doing all of that in the hospitality industry for sure but i'm and i'm sure other industries but it's just yeah, it didn't last very long. So, I mean, that was a that was a fun one, but it was again, too early. <laughs> it was too too early and and not a good experience when personal computers just became so readily available and so cheap yeah. so fast. So, what about you, Cody? What's your what's your favorites? So, the one that came to mind immediately when we were we were talking about doing this topic, um, not the '90s, not quite the 2000s, <laughs> uh, um, in, in the smartwatch field, um, when those started to come out, um, Pebble was the yes, uh, was the big one, one. Yeah. Um, and I remember everybody had one. The yeah. e display, they were definitely they were like doing the features they had were were better than what was else was out at the time for those smartwatches. You know, in the yeah. in the infancy of that. Oh God, were they um, ugly though? Yeah, they, it was just like the blocky. Yeah, <laughs> they were very. I, I wanted to be kind and say minimal, but no, they were ugly. They were yeah. just mm-hmm. ugly. They were cheaply made. They were, I, if you looked at one, it got deep scratches that mm-hmm. just were. It was all plastic. The, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was all, but it was bad plastic, but sorry, Cody, I agree with you. I, for all, mm-hmm. I, I know I jumped straight to that, but I love the pebble. Yeah. They were very simple. They only did like, it, it did like, you know, your calendar, your, uh, you know, 
reminders and, and the time, obviously. And I, at the time, it was the um, most funded Kickstarter when it when it started. Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah I remember it, it was like over ten million dollars. Yeah. yeah. Yep. In 2012, though, and think about that. Like, mm-hmm. the Kickstarter was barely in, to raise $10 million on Kickstarter. They delivered on the product. It went wide. I, I'm really glad you brought this one up, Cody, because for me, you know, my quick aside on it is this is a story about a piece of technology that was good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. They didn't, did what it said it was doing. Yeah. They didn't make some decision where it's like, well, you know what we need to pivot into subscription models or like, you know what I mean? They just, they just right. made a good product that people actually wanted to buy and it went pretty well. Um, the, the biggest problems were the smartwatch market at the time and still is comparatively yeah. was very small. This wasn't mm-hmm. the new smartphone market that people maybe thought it was going to be. Um, but even then, they weren't this behemoth that needed to be moving hundreds of millions of units. Like they were mm-hmm. doing categorically well. Um, the very short version of this, because I'm going to bring it back to competition, like I do, is yeah, this, this is one of this is one of my go-to examples of Pebble stopped existing because Apple, Google, and Samsung decided they needed to not exist anymore. Totally. Right. Yeah, because what the the Apple Watch came out in 2015. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and, Google and, would have then, made their entries the year before, a year or so before, mm-hmm. with the earlier, the earliest Google Wear devices. Samsung got in there with, uh, like once the again because that market was objectively so small, it could only support a finite number of players, mm-hmm. and the players with deep enough pockets to wait to actually make any money just outspent and outweighted Pebble until they then got subsumed by Fitbit, which now is just a zombie brand owned by google right and the the thing about the the pebbles too that that i always liked and the reason why i was able to get one at the time was they were way more affordable mm-hmm. oh yeah comparatively i mean 99 dollars was the price for the pebble and yeah. then you could get the steel version that actually had steel and glass for 149 mm-hmm. 50 yep. bucks more for a steel yeah. and glass version so you know i mean they were comparatively way cheaper when the, you know the apple watch launches and is Four ninety nine or whatever that launched at. I don't remember what the launch price was for the first Apple Three twenty nine. Was it three? Was the okay. first one for still, this for this for yeah. this tiny one? But but still, Double. to your point, yeah. Un, yeah, under half the price. Mm-hmm. And but here's my thing though too. They were in many ways not comparable products. Like no, the Pebble not even close. concept was entirely different. It was an e-ink display. It was ultra low power. The battery lasted for decades. Like it yeah, was just, right. it was just, it was made to be closer to a watch than it was to the let's slap a computer, computer to wrist. our wrist. Right. And that worked for a lot of people. Like it, it really, really did. Um, and, and there were definitely branding and messaging issues from the Pebble. So they, they didn't do themselves any favors either. Um, I feel this was there towards the end. They were playing towards acquisition. I mean, that's just, yeah. you know, yeah. th- that, w- that was a given. They, they I remember they tried because there was the color display ones there towards the end. Like they yeah, that's right. They did do like the color. They're like the color e-ink, which to even today, color e-ink is eh. Yeah. Um, I want it right to be yet. great, and it's not. And it certainly wasn't 10 years ago, but... Yeah, it seems like, you know, as soon as those first party ones came out, like people would much rather, you know, if I have an iPhone, I might as well get the Apple Watch, right? Instead yep. of a well, Pebble, so what, th- you thanks. know. Yeah, thanks. That was that was the big one. So when I was when I was alluding to before about the companies decided they didn't want it to be there anymore, they didn't do it. Eric, to your point, Apple and all them enter the field and their products were more than double the price. So you would think, okay, there's this whole... The, Owning the bottom of the market is not inherently a bad thing. That just means there's a market there to be had and people that want to be served by it. It wasn't that they, Apple or any of them could have showed up and said, here's our Apple watch. It's $189 and then just lost money on everyone. They didn't do it that way. They used the walled garden instead. Oh, you want iMessage on your wrist? You're buying an i. you're buying an Apple watch. Um, Even, even Android, you know, the, the quote unquote open one, the best experiences by design were very obviously over on Wear OS on Samsung's yeah. watches. Like you could basically get a very cut and dirty SMS push to your Pebble, and that was about it. It was out of the box a substandard experience. So now you're paying, yes, less money, but you're also being 
constantly walled out of all the features that people were actually showing up for. Right. And uh, at that point, then it was just, again, for the big brands, then the waiting game began. Again, start the clock. You know, yep. They knew the day those watches dropped, which one of us is going to pick up Pebble for pennies on the dollar, mostly for their IP. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then Fitbit, yeah, I guess Google owns them <laughs> So yeah. I guess another one of those products. <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, we don't have to spend it because yeah, it was the yeah. exact same story. Mm. Fitbit ended up being the ones to grab Pebble because that Pebble IP was what was going to push them out ahead and help them stand you know, head and shoulders with you know the Apple Watch and Google and Samsung yep. and everyone else. And all it did was build up their own portfolio to make it even more attractive for Google to then show up and buy Fitbit. And at least you can still walk into a store and buy a Fitbit. And that's only because Google is just bad at doing that anti-competitive thing. I mean, maybe that's why they haven't gotten enough trouble with the government yet. They do it all the time. They're just bad at it. Mm-hmm. They buy companies like Pebble. I'm, I'm sorry, buy, they buy companies like Fitbit. And then you know what they're really crappy at? Using that technology in their devices. Yep. The best mm-hmm. health experience you can get from Google is still buying a Fitbit. Yeah. They didn't integrate any of it into their main wear. Not meaningfully. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's interesting. Anywho. Yeah. And then not a device per se, but looking through this, you know, there are a lot of apps as well. A little bit more in time, but a lot of apps that kind of disappear. And I came across this app that I I use. And I remember it was called, uh, I'm trying to find it here. It was called Yak Chat. Or not Yak Chat, um, Yik Yak. Sorry. Yik Yak. Yep. Yik Yak. And, um, say, just clarify, Yak Chat's still a very, very active yes, and useful yes, company. Yes. Um, uh, not no, trying is... to slight the poor guys. Okay, Cody, go ahead. Um, so it was called Yik Yak. And, and, and you may remember this, John, because I remember using it. And it was a messaging app that was totally anonymous, but it was only based out of like college areas, like college towns. Yes. And okay. it would have Why like, did this sound familiar? Yeah, this and, was And it rough. would have like heat maps, you know, like, oh, this uh-huh. this college area, right? So people could just anonymously, anonymously post and have comments and all those things that were like real time in those areas. And you wouldn't know who was posting what? Right. Um, okay. And like at the time I was like, you know, it was college age. I was at colleges. So it was like definitely like a cool thing. Um, and then uh, obviously, you know, it was it was it was a startup. It was very specific to that. Um, yep. Even Snapchat, I think, took a lot of those features that they were doing. Um, but um, they were only around a little while, and then Square ended up purchasing them for only a million dollars. Um, but uh, but yeah, Snapchat really kind of took over. But it, it was just weird to to think, oh yeah, that little point in time where that app was like a thing. Um, well, it's I, like, I don't know if you knew this or not, but it and like, it's back. Is it? Yeah, they relaunched. No. Who, yeah, they yeah, Yik Yak came back. So that was that's a we'll call it, we'll we'll do a zombie brand episode because yeah. that one is uh, that one's back from the dead because that you can actually download uh-huh. that on the App Store now. Holy moly! Yep. <laughs> Dang, never mind. It came back. No, I mean it's it was one that failed for sure, and then years after, all of a sudden, this was just like it was during it was during the pandemic. They they just oh. all of a sudden came back. I think they saw an opportunity and they were like, you know what? People are all Resurrect sitting around the their brand. homes. Let's get yep. the brand back and people can chat anonymously while they're all sitting let's in their the houses. Let's get the brand back together. Yeah, yeah let's get the brand back together. <laughs> oh well. But I, so I I had yeah. one more. If we've got time, yeah. there's one that yeah, it will it. be so much fun for us to talk about simply because of the industry that we're in. And if it's every, mine, I'm going to be sad. Um, okay, well, every everyone get 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 your barf bags ready. Um, Let's let's talk BlackBerry. You oh. took my no. I, this, this is a per, this is a perfect place to finish because I too I yeah, wanted yeah, to finish a, with BlackBerry. One, yeah, yeah. I, you're you're right, Eric, and I'll let you run with it. But the reason I had this one teed up for for my you know one more thing, and you know we'll just collectively make it our one more thing yeah. is a this took forever. Oh, like it dragged out. It was for like what one felt of those like the entire middle of my life. It was one of those like hammy on stage Shakespearean deaths where they're yes. like, Oh, Oh, woe is me. He and you think me. they're dead and they're like, but wait, and they have more to say. And there's more forever. And you're it's like, a touch oh screen God, and I already. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay. So before I d- go, Eric, is it, you, you got there first. So no, I mean, it. no, it was just, no, I just, that, that's the, the whole thing. I mean, they, they were a brand 
This and was, this and Blockbuster are my two. I hate yeah. to say it, favorite examples of exactly yeah. what we're here to talk about today. Right? They they did not want to go into the night. They just simply no. wanted to stay existing. They felt like they were relevant for so much longer than they actually were. The minute the iPhone came out, BlackBerry was done, mm-hmm. and they just refused to accept it. And, and I don't it, know how long much it like, was, but it much, was really long. Well, really long. So much like Blockbuster, though, it didn't have to be. No. And these were decisions made at the very top. And also, this is more indicative because at least Blockbuster, you know, to their board of directors credit, cough, cough. It, it wasn't because they stuck it out with the same leadership. They went through a revolving door of CEOs there at the end, including yep. captain, you know, managed dissatisfaction. But I mean, they just brought in a bunch of people. We're with superhero ever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Black, Blackberry or um, rim research emotion as it was originally. Um, they fell into a very different trap that the reason I'm bringing up this specifically is it is still very relevant in the tech space and, and just business space today. Um, they were in many ways a a victim of founder culture. Mm. So their founders were still around. They were still in leadership roles. They were still making decisions because this is the way we've always done it. And because we're us and we're so amazing, people are going, our loyal followers are always going to be there. That's right. Our, our crackberry addicts are never going to go buy a fruit themed, you know, glass slab. They want their keyboards. They want their, this, they want their, that. And what's funny is objectively speaking for a lot of those years, they were right. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. That that company not just existed but continued to flourish in some ways for years longer than it business should yeah. have because they had such rabidly loyal fans that for many good reasons loved the product. But rather than embrace that, nurture it and like grow it into a here's how we're going to be different, here's how we're going to compete while still evolving. No, they were going to lean and say, no, they love us because of this and that's enough. And we're just going to keep doing this until it was too late. Because at the very end, Cody, you, you alluded to it. There was the death throes, Eric. It was, it was that extended protracted death that you're talking about where it's yeah. like, okay, you know what? Let's make a holy touchscreen phone. Or let's make one where the keyboard slides out the back. Mm-hmm. Or, you know what? Maybe we do need a real app store with third-party app developers. Like all of these things came condensed in the final years instead of identifying years earlier and building here's it. where we are yeah. here's where our threats exist here's where our competition might even be a step or two ahead of us but because we're huge this is the black this, i'm sorry this is the blockbuster thing in this way all over again because we already have scale because we already have brand recognition because we have loyal followers that want to use our product let's get out ahead of this and start picking and choosing the things our competitors are doing that we think could be great and bringing them in. And instead they threw up the walls and said, everyone wants a keyboard and we're only going to make phones with keyboards until they didn't. Everyone likes our email app and our first party experience. So that's all people are going to want to use instead of opening it up to broader third party applications. All these other, you know, all these other opportunities to iterate and evolve and extend Nope, we're going to do it this way. And that's what people are going to love because we're BlackBerry. And that's why they're currently owned by TCL making really bad phones. Totally. It was like that lack of innovation really when all the yeah. other ones yes. were really exploding. And it was hubris. Things. Yeah. yeah. And, and that was the word I was trying to remember earlier. I was trying to be kind to Black, to Blockbuster <laughs> because that, that is the comment. It is business hubris. It is the belief that we are us and we are great and everyone is going to remember that. And guess what? The consumer has a one-tenth length memory compared to a gnat. I mean, really, brand loyalty, the thing we like to talk about, everyone's brand loyal until they're not. Right, until something better comes along or totally. something cheaper or until you offers start the doing same your, stuff. And, yeah. yeah, or until you just objectively start doing your job bad. Right. Because that's mm. the beauty of the market. When you start doing your job badly, people have every right to go look at someone else. Yeah, and that was the thing for me with BlackBerry was – you know, for a long time, it was the only player. And then when other players came out with the Android phones and the iPhones that were so much easier to connect to your business environment, where Mm -hmm. you could just connect to an exchange server and get your email, 
Well, Eric, Whereas, you didn't enjoy spending long nights making a, a BES, a BlackBerry Enterprise server, you right. know, resurrect from the dead to talk to Exchange 2007? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's what I'm talking about. It was, they had a whole separate proprietary piece of software that you had uh -huh. to install and configure on your on your Exchange servers to be able to pass email. And then, oh, no, that service stopped in the middle of the night. And now the CEO is not getting his email and he's furious yep. that he hasn't gotten his email. So you have to go restart that and and set that back. And it was just... It was such a mess on the back end and it was something that most people never saw right. because yeah. you didn't, you know, it was, it was the us's of the world that were having to put out those fires the and there were so mirrors. many of those yep. fires. It was, I hated working with Bez servers. It was, it was the yep. worst experience. And, and, and you're right. Most of the frontline folks didn't know it existed until their email stopped working. Yep. And then the decision makers had to deal with call. What is the cost of the us's fixing it for them all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and, but, and, you know, one of the many things that, that RIM or BlackBerry would lean on is, you know, pe people want their emails now. They don't want to wait, you know, five minutes for it to sync to their phone. That, that was their mm -hmm. whole thing was well, we deliver the fastest email to your phone. Most people I know will every time take an email consistently five minutes late than an email in five seconds half the time. Mm -hmm. Right. That, yeah. I mean, it was consistency. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, I had a, I had a BlackBerry. I had a, um, Curve, curve. A curve. Yep, I had nice. a curve. I had a BlackBerry curve. Oh, I remember um, Curve eighty three hundred. Yeah, let's yep. go. I'm pretty sure that was what I had. It was eighty three hundred, eighty four hundred, yep. or something like that. And and it was fine. And I used that all the way up until I started at the company that we're working at today. <laughs> and I used it when I was first there as my personal phone until I started working on the back end yep. at this job. And I went, "This thing is trash." And I got an iPhone <laughs> shortly after because yeah. I was like, "I can't continue to do this." I was. I think I held on to that curve for a while simply because I didn't have the money. And then they started doing the subsidies and stuff when it came to the iPhone fours. And I had a four or a four S was my first, uh, my first iPhone. And, and I never looked back. It was so much easier to use. Yep. And, yeah, and the curve and the bold, those, those two. Yep. So, yeah. so popular. But yeah, I mean, it was, again, it was one of those things where when people finally stopped using them, you know, we had a few, hangers that were like that wouldn't give up their blackberries and we had we had to keep their bed servers alive for way longer yeah. than and we wanted to have. and then when they finally kind of went away forever i was like oh thank god it's finally over and people didn't talk about it for a little while then they did what you said john all of a sudden they came out with like blackberry has got a new phone and it's a smartphone and it's going to be the next big thing and this was of course one of BlackBerry them had saying a, all of this <laughs> one of them had a floating display i will never forget their answer to the iphone was all right guys floating you said display. you wanted a you, you said you wanted a fully touch screen phone but we also know you love your keyboard so what we've done to give you tactile feedback on is the display floats inside like it's on a spring mechanism the display think about, is like a, a button. think about a air <laughs> picture a trackpad like a right. non-mac trackpad where those moving parts the display was basically a giant trackpad that as you typed it would click so you got the tactile sensation of the click every in theory oh, and geez. it didn't work this way by the way it was a miserable failure that was my oh wow. that's the one blackberry i had yeah because because again that that's the example they they were so sure that what they had what their loyalists wanted was so firm that well if we're going to make something without a physical keyboard we better make it as close to a physical keyboard as we possibly can and that hubris that belief led them to making such an inferior and just naturally broken product that and I, and by naturally broken, I mean they also broke for minutes after they came out of the box. <laughs> oh yeah, so um, like even to just, type sideways, you had to press, wait for the screen to click back yep. up, then press the next key. So you were not typing as fast as you could have on a normal BlackBerry, which is their claim to fame, right? Yeah, like, yeah. The the, the one <laughs> genuine well, not one the one of the genuine advantages of those physical keyboards because again, Eric, I too, I I my Curve eighty three hundred was the best phone I ever owned until I owned an iPhone. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, yeah. and one of the reasons was I could at one point basically reach into my pocket and type out a grammatically incorrect but perfectly legible text message or short form email without ever taking my phone out of my pocket because I had enough muscle memory with that thumb keyboard. As long as I could find the reference key, the one with the dot on it, I could yeah. type out a 
intelligible message without ever having looked at that phone. And that's still a trick I cannot do with a glass slab in my pocket. You know what I mean? So these were real things, but they they refused to accept that those things still needed to evolve, still needed to grow. I mean, there was a, there was a, um, reporter that you know said you know again this went many years ago that when interviewing their ceo at the time um this reporter knew the days were numbered for blackberry because he openly in the interview dismissed uh dismissed the recently at the time announced iphone as and i quote it's a toy oh wow yeah there you go right there yeah I'm not saying that you know when you're in business, you, it's also not a good idea to look at competition and immediately become terrified and start thrashing. Like that's a, another way to put yourself in the ground is, uh, you know, paralysis and fear. That's not what I'm saying yeah. at all. But to openly dismiss and mock, that's not. There, I get it. There's a certain persona you have to put out there to keep investors. You know, they 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 know what they're doing. They've got a plan. But to just to openly dismiss something, mm-hmm. you know, who else had a very similar reaction to it? The CEO at the time of Microsoft. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Bomber felt the same way, and we could do an entire episode on talking about talking about slow motion protracted deaths. Looking mm-hmm. at yeah, you, we didn't mention Windows Phone. <laughs> yeah, Windows yep. Phone. So, yeah. I, but on, but on BlackBerry, seriously. The, to, to round out my side of this story, because again, we could do an entire episode on it, is it was that that hubristic fe- um, feeling of our loyalists will never leave until they did. Mm-hmm. Um, the belief that, well, those who started the company or were early with the company are always going to have the answers until they don't. And then the inability to even let that go. Um, my One of my favorite memories of the later days of of rim or blackberry was one of their solutions was you know one ceo isn't getting it done but what if we had two (laughs) yes and they very famously had a dual ceo structure at the end which was miserable (laughs) (laughs) the only thing better than making poor decisions is a company at that scale being unable to make any decisions because of a constant state of gridlock. These are the recipes for destroying any company. I don't care if that company is five people, 50 people or 50,000 people. When you paralyze a company at all of those levels, all at the same time, start the clock. In fact, the clock's probably been running for hours and you just didn't know it. And you didn't notice it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. Those were, my memories of BlackBerry, I don't know about you guys on the, yeah. on the BlackBerry side of things at least, but Eric, you're right. To, to, to take a very like a quick beat on the us side of the world, uh, you're right. Supporting them. And let's, let's not gloss over that super quickly either because the technology professionals, people that work in this space often make up the majority of the early adopters that mm-hmm. are the people that do bring it out into the world. And then people see it and start asking, you know, hey, what's that? That's what pretty that? cool. Yep. And then you get that organic growth i like to believe there are pro- there are likely many people out there today that made their jump to an iphone and android phone and what have you because they walked up to me and asked me about it because yeah. typically i was the first person in the restaurant dumb enough to have an iphone i was the first person waiting for that bus i was literally the first person and i know this is a fact the, the college town i lived in I was the very first person in that area code because of some connections that I pulled to have the Google Nexus one. I was the very first person in that, in that geography to have that. And the number of people like, that's not an iPhone. What is that? And Mm -hmm. so we collectively play a certain role in bringing these technologies out to people in the wild where they ask questions, they see them, and then it plants the seeds to them. Yeah. I saw that one time. That was really, really cool. I think I might get one of those. And Obviously, that's one component of a massive go-to-market strategy for these companies, but it's also another one of the nails in the coffins of the people that ignore it. Yeah. Because when when people like you and I throw our hands up and say, I'm done with BlackBerry, right? guess what? You can launch all the new ones you want and put on as many billboards that people are going to drive by and not pay attention to as you want. No one's ever going to see one and ask about it in a restaurant again. No one's ever going to ask about it at a bus stop again. No one's ever going to talk about it over Thanksgiving dinner again. And you start to lose that mind share. Mm-hmm. Market share follows on its heels yep, every time. single time. 
Yeah. Oh yeah. And you see someone typing up their email on an iPhone, you're like, ooh. Better yeah. than my BlackBerry. Right. Yeah, well, I, I haven't mean, gotten an email in a day and a half because yeah, IT says right. they're still working on resurrecting working the on best server. server. So. Exactly. <laughs> and it's the only way it would work. Yeah, it was just terrible to support. And I think, you know, that's the thing. Every every IT guy out there ended up going and getting a Google phone or, or a, an Apple phone. Yep. And, you know, their CEOs would see them. And the, the 16th time their best server went down, they're like, do you have this problem? Nope. Yep. And and that's it. That's all it took was somebody going, no, I don't have that problem on this at all. It's so much easier to hook up and will frankly save you money because you don't have to pay for BEZ licensing, which was sure. crazy I, expensive. So to, I, I can I can bookend that exact thought process with a with a first party real experience I had sitting in a room with with, with the owner of, of a partner company of ours. We supported them. And basically, I was I, it was when the iPhone first got exchange active sync. So prior to that, and this is getting way in the weeds, but prior to that, BlackBerry had a point. You had to wait for a 15-minute timer to run, for it to, for it to, to reach yeah. out to your server, pull it down. At that point, using Exchange on an iPhone was no different than having an old IMAP server or a POP server. It was, it was an inferior mail experience, absolutely. But when the iPhone got that native Exchange Active Sync experience and you could get emails quickly direct from an Exchange server, I remember having an early conversation with the CEO of a company and him. You know, I said, hey, listen – because we were also trying to their black their fleet of blackberries was the first time they had ever bought devices for their employees right and they were tempted that was probably true of a lot of people sure and well and they were tempted they they were interested in the iphone because it could now do what they needed to but they were tempted to pivot that into a well what if we just opened it up to as a bring your own device policy and then just gave people a stipend or something and putting my security hat on for a second even back then i'm like absolutely not you need to own this experience and for a lot of reasons, it builds value with your team. They want to receive those things from the company. Just no. But then when we actually ran the numbers, the amazing part was they were able to subsidize over half of the cost of that iPhone rollout by not having to carry. It was an end of fiscal year. We pulled the amount of money they had spent specifically supporting their BlackBerry Enterprise server in the previous mm, year. Yeah. That support cost paid for over 50% of their iPhone rollout. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. So. so it, just, it just was breaking that off. These things have real yeah. dollars and cents impact that, again, it's another nail in that coffin that when these folks that are responsible for the dollars look at it and say, I love this experience, but not for this much. Yeah. Right? not for that cost what's the cost of yeah and then so. and that was again the hubris they on the blackberry side never lowered those prices they never talked no. about deals it was this is the best experience you're ever going to get so pay us the money that we know it's worth and it wasn't mm -hmm. worth that anymore after the active sync stuff happened so yeah, yeah. Um, and i'm going to you know, reference one article to, to truly put you know, the book in this for the fourth time um <laughs> this can happen very quickly you know, we talked about these protracted deaths in your right, and they still take place over years. But to put an idea how quickly that cliff can come for you when you line up all these decisions and then refuse to pivot. Um, in 2010, BlackBerry had 43% of this of the then smartphone market. Wow. By 2013. Oh, wow. Yeah. By 2013. So think about that for a second. So that's we had we were several generations into the iPhone at that point. Yeah. You know, 2010, we're talking like yeah. getting ready to enter iPhone 4 territory. Yep. 43%. By 2013, 5.9%. Yeah. <laughs> Holy moly. That's a death spiral. Yeah. Again, you start to lose the mind share. There it is. The market share follows every single time. For sure. On that bombshell, literally, yeah. in the smoking wreckage yes. of many brands that we knew, we loved, and we were still willing to say goodbye to. Because seriously, at the end of the day, my great experiences with all these brands, with these products, with these companies doesn't discount the fact. As, as And this point, speaking as a consumer, not even a technology professional, I, I had a teacher one time uh you know, compare, you know, buying something or spending dollars as to casting votes. You used to call it, you know, cast your dollar votes on yep. something when, when you <laughs> buy it. You're casting your dollar votes on that thing. Oh, yeah. And I, you know, it, we owe it to ourselves and to the market to think about it that way. When we do buy the product that we, that we choose to do, do so in a way that I am not just getting this thing that I wanted, but I am telling the marketplace that's the thing I believe in.
Yep. And when people start to do that against your company, the fate of these companies is coming for you. It's not an it's not a immediate death sentence because we could do a twice as long episode about companies that made the right decisions, saw these fates coming, and successfully pivoted. Yeah, mm-hmm. many of them exist today. Apple was yeah. one of those companies. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. Without a little thing called the iPod, they'd be on this list right now. Forget yeah. the or, iPhone, or even without or the even iPod. before that, or even before that, the uh, the first iMac. Yeah, the, they were the they were floundering we know, the in that power Mac. PC thing. That first iMac Absolutely. was like, yeah. Yep the the, the transition to Intel. Now, now what we're living mm-hmm. through now, the transition to M, the Apple computer business, while not in this dire straits, was in a bad place prior to the M class processor. Mm-hmm. And that, that took yeah. years of logistics to get in place, but that pivot has now put them on a path of growth. So, oh. with that, uh, you guys have anything else to? Uh, Get us out of this one. Um, yeah, I'm just you know going to suggest that everybody check the time on their Pebble watch. Uh, <laughs> plug your QCAD into your web TV and scan your Q um, to go check out the latest news on your BlackBerry. I am absolutely <laughs> going to go post this episode and then go find out if the actual connectivity existed to plug a QCAD into a web TV because this is now something that's going to make happen. <laughs> yeah, now I want to so. buy one. That's right. Well, I I got a guy. So, (laughs) all right. Well, on that, we will wrap it up and catch you next time. Later. Later. Later.